right. There we go. Good morning. Great to see you all here this morning, uh, especially if you're a visitor, if you're here for the first time. Uh, welcome. I'm, my name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect. And um, I don't know if you noticed, but in that song we sang, the, uh, the second song it was, new song, great song. Um, did anyone catch that uh, This Is Living Now is the name of the song, that they actually spelt color? Uh, the, the English way. Did you guys see that? It was O-U-R. Uh, even Savior was spelt I-O-U-R. So uh, I just want to let you know that wasn't my influence. I didn't insist on changing the spelling. Uh, I think the song is from Hillsong, Australia. Uh, so we've already just downloaded the words from their uh, database. And in Australia, they speak proper English as well, like we do in England. Uh, different than American English, where you just chop letters out for no good reason at all and just remove them from good words. But uh, we will get that uh, changed so that next time you sing, you won't be distracted and you can sing color with an American accent and not with an English accent. So I know that's pretty tricky for some of you this morning to have to sing a new song and sing it with a British accent. So well done, those of you who tried. Um, how many of you here this morning love going out to eat? Anyone here? Yes, it's brilliant, isn't it? Isn't it just nice to be able to just go somewhere and, and sit at a table and you can order whatever you want and someone brings the food to you and they'll come and top up your drink for you and when you're finished, they come and take the plates and someone else does the washing up. It's just, it's nice, it's different than eating at home, isn't it? And uh, the wives here are saying, yeah, it's different for me. That's kind of what my husband expects every time I make dinner for him. But yeah, uh, it, it is different. But I bet if I was to go around this morning with a microphone, every one of you could say, as much as I love going out to eat, I've got a story about a bad experience we had at a restaurant with our server. Okay, maybe in a waiter or a waitress. And I bet everyone here wouldn't have to think too long and too hard about a negative experience that maybe they had. Uh, a friend of mine told me this story once of his experience. He said that uh, his, he and his wife went to a restaurant. They'd never been there before. The waitress came up and introduced herself. And she said, hi, I'll be your server today. Uh, but I do have to warn you, I hate my job. And I'm, I'm actually really bad at it. Uh, so don't expect too much, okay? Uh, I don't care if you don't tip me, but just please don't tell the manager because I will get fired. Okay, what would you like? <laughs> I mean, that's really set up for a really good-looking meal here, isn't it, when, when that's your introduction. Um, Casey and I, we, uh, we love, there's a restaurant up in Chicago called Ed DeBevick's. Anyone ever been to Ed DeBevick's in Chicago? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a fun restaurant where you go, they do burgers and fries and shakes and things like that. But their, their whole idea is that they intentionally give you bad service. Yeah, in fact, you actually pay more for that bad service. You could get cheaper burgers at a restaurant down the road, but here you pay a little bit more, and the waiters and waitresses are intentionally insulting and uh, rude to you. And it's fun, you know, because you can kind of banter backwards and forwards with them, and they're, they're arguing with you, and they're telling you to shut up and eat your dinner. And, um, but the best part of it, okay, is I have friends and family who come visit us from England. So... You, you may be surprised to hear this, but they don't want to spend their whole vacation in Peoria. So uh, we'll take them to Chicago, and we'll see the sights, and we'll go downtown, and we'll do some shopping. And invariably, we'll take them to Ed DeBevick's. But if it's the first time that they've been here, we won't tell them what's going on. So we'll be sat there, and, and they're kind of getting more and more frustrated. They're like, man, we've got a bad server today. She's pretty rude, or he's, he's like not being very polite. I remember taking one friend of mine once, a good friend of mine, and uh, we were sat there, and he ordered the salad bar. And uh, when we got done placing all of our orders, she went to leave, and he said, shall I just get up and go to the salad bar and serve myself? She said, no, no, honey, 
You stay sitting right there. That salad's just going to float across the restaurant and land upon your plate. <laughs> Idiot. And walked away. And my friend's like, <laughs> so we told him pretty quick because I mean, he was like, I can't believe you brought us this awful restaurant. So once we find out, it actually gets to be quite fun. But a bad service can leave a mark, can't it? And we're going to be talking about that this morning. You see, we're in a series right now, and this series is called Identity Theft. And it's nothing to do with social security numbers, nothing to do with credit histories. It's not your financial history. It's your your identity in who you are as a follower of Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, um, I happen to believe that we have a brand new identity A man by the name of Paul talks about this when he writes to a church in Corinth. He says um, in this verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And if there was ever someone who could fully understand what it means to, to have a new identity, it was this man right here. He was a hater of Christians. He would persecute and, and even kill Christians. And then one day, he has this encounter with Jesus, and it changes his life. And he goes from from hater to to passionate follower of Jesus, spreading the love and the message of the gospel of Jesus. And Paul understood what it was like to have a brand new identity because of his relationship with Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're visiting, maybe you're not um, a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're kind of still exploring. You might be here with a friend or a family member and and you're enjoying coming to connect, but you're not really sure yet what you feel about all this. And I think this series is really going to help you because over the next few weeks, we're going to be kind of um, painting this picture of what our identity as followers of Jesus should be. So it'll give you kind of a target to aim for. It'll give you an idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But if you're here this morning and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you're striving to follow him and live your life for him, then this series could be a little bit of an eye-opener to you as well. Because I think there are some of us who have made that decision to follow Christ and we're in danger of having our identity stolen. In fact, some may even not know fully what our identity is or even we know but we're just not willing to embrace it. So we're going to be talking each week about who we are in Jesus. So to do this, to help us with this, we're, we're going to follow the life of an individual in the Bible. We met him last week uh, for the very first time. Uh, his name is Joseph. Okay, now uh, for those who aren't familiar with him, we found a picture of him uh, buried deep down in the uh, Middle East somewhere. This was archaeologists dug up this picture of Joseph, uh, and uh, he looks remarkably like Donny Osmond, I know. But this is who uh, Joseph was. This is the Joseph from the Old Testament, okay? There was a Joseph and Mary, uh, Joseph, the, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, okay? But this is a different Joseph. This is a Joseph who lived thousands of years before that. And uh, if, if you recognize this picture, you'll know that he was famous for his amazing, colorful dream coats. Uh, There was a a show based on the life of this particular Joseph. And we're going to look at this man over the next few weeks and and the identity that he found in being a, a follower of God himself. Last week, we talked about the fact that despite being sold into slavery by his brothers, that Joseph found himself in a position of favor in Potiphar's household. He was actually promoted to the chief slave in this household, the man in charge of everything. 
But we also found out that despite this, this rise to success in this new um, place of employment, that trouble came his way. Trouble in the form of Potiphar's wife. We learned last week that she tried to seduce Joseph. We also learned that Joseph wanted to honor and obey his relationship with God. And so he totally rejected all of her advances. He knew that, that saying no was going to be difficult, but it was his identity. Not just in the fact that he was a slave, not just in the fact that he was um, someone there. He knew this wasn't the right thing for him to do. His identity wouldn't allow him to do this, even though others in that culture were doing this quite freely. You see, Joseph understood that standing against Potiphar's wife, it kind of made him like an alien. Like an alien we talked about, like he didn't fit in, he didn't belong. He was different. But in his identity as a, as a follower of God, a man who, who worshipped and loved God with all of his heart, he understood that in order to bless the world, you've got to be different than the rest of the world. He understood that's where his identity lay. If you want to bless the world, you're going to have to be different than the rest of the world. So last week we got to the point where, where she tried to seduce Joseph and we kind of stopped there and we're going to continue on and find out what happened. Well, you know, she tried many times and he kept stopping her from doing this. So, so finally she got mad. She got mad and she decided, right, I'm going to punish this slave of mine. After constantly refusing her, advantive, her, her advances, he finally, she finally has enough, um, enough of this and she says, that's it. And she accuses Joseph of something, a crime he hasn't committed. She says to her husband that Joseph attacked her. We read that Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So at this point, one might say, well, surely then embracing his true identity was a mistake. He did what was right, and look where, it, look where he ended up, in a prison cell. But it wasn't. Because as we'll see today, as we kind of look at this next phase of Joseph's life, that there's another aspect of his identity that, that helps him during this stage of life. Helps him move more towards this great man that God was helping him become. Because you see, while he's in prison, he doesn't just mope around. He doesn't just sit there counting the days, doing his time. We find out that instead he has this amazing attitude and he starts to serve the other prisoners. He starts to serve those that are in charge. Because serving wasn't just something that Joseph did. It's who he was. It's almost like he couldn't help himself. This was his identity, just to serve and look out for the needs of others around him and do good to those around him. This started to shine through. And I want to continue talking about that this morning for every one of us to find our identity as followers of Christ by focusing on another aspect, and that is of who we are as servants. So what does it mean to be a servant? Joseph exemplifies this, but what does it mean for us today to be a servant? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. Because I think sometimes we fall into this trap. We think, well, I'm happy to serve others because then... They'll owe me. 
I'll, I'll do this for that person and then they'll have to do something for me. And we have this kind of one-upmanship or this, this mentality that, you know, I'm only going to give if I get something back in return. And that's not really why we should serve. That's not the identity of a follower of Jesus. And yet that happens, doesn't it? Check out this video clip illustrating the idea of just that. Good morning, everybody. Who would like an authentic New York bagel? Hmm? You went all the way to New York City to get us bagels? Oh, why? Is there a place closer that sells them? This is really nice, Dwight. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, don't mention it. You owe me one. You all owe me one. Oh, Dwight, I have a little surprise for you. Let me guess. You ate the bagel I gave you and loved it. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to return the favor. I was polishing my loafers and I happened to look over and noticed that your briefcase was a little worse for the wear. So, a little elbow grease and she's polished right up back to her former glory. Oh. Feel it against your cheek. I will. You give me a gift, bam. Thank you, note. You invite me somewhere, pow, RSVP. You do me a favor, wham, favor returned. Do not test my politeness. Let me get that door for you. Oh. There we go. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I got it for you. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Thanks. Hold on a second. Do not walk around with your jacket, uh, cattywampus. And that needs oh. to be straight as an arrow. Thank you very much. <laughs> that... Oh, boy. Hey. Thank you very much for that. You are okay. welcome. Have a seat. Allow uh, me. Have Please. a seat yourself. You know what? I am going to preemptively change the batteries. Your wireless mouse. Not necessary. No, no, no. <laughs> you didn't have to do that. It's silly, isn't it? Just the idea of keep trying to one-up one another and trying to serve in order to get, you know, I'll give you this. The reality is that's not what Joseph was doing here. It's not that he was, you know, serving in the hope that something good would happen. It was just who he was. It truly is living in a way that you are looking for opportunities, opportunities to serve, expecting nothing in return. So let's look at Joseph and let's see how his commitment to live life as a servant affected him. You see, he's in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And I have to be honest here this morning, and, and maybe you'd be the same. If it were me, and I'd just made this commitment to, to stand strong for God and, and re refuse the advances of Potiphar's wife, and then I find myself in prison, I'd be like, God, what's up with that? Everyone else was doing it. I chose to be different. I chose to stand up and do what was right. And I'm in prison? Come on. That's not fair. I think I'd be kind of shaking my fist and complaining and bitter and upset. But when we look at Joseph, we discover this isn't the case. He has this amazing attitude. He just senses that even though he doesn't maybe fully understand why this is happening, that God is there with him. In fact, listen to this. It says in Genesis 39, 20 to 21, while Joseph, Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Even in prison, God is with him. Even in prison, Joseph stays true to who he is. So instead of complain or get bitter or angry, he actually allows his identity to shine through. Because he knew he was called to be someone who was meant to bless the world. So he served the other prisoners. And guess what happened at the jail? 
He lives a life of service. And listen to the, uh, the transformation that takes place in Genesis chapter 39, verse 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Joseph chooses to live a life of service. Joseph chooses to have the right attitude to allow his identity to come through. And, and God's blessing is upon him. We see that he's given this position of power, this position of responsibility right there in this prison cell. So from this position of responsibility now, Joseph continues to serve and bless those that are around him. You see, we learn that um, one day two new prisoners arrive in the jail. We don't know a lot about these prisoners, but we do know that one was a baker and one was a cupbearer, both from Pharaoh's court. We don't know what they did or what got them in prison. Maybe the baker burned his cookies, burned Pharaoh's cookies. Maybe he served rhubarb pie instead of apple pie. Ugh, I, he deserves to be in prison if that's what he served. But uh, yeah, we, we don't know what he did. But for some reason, the cupbearer did something, the baker did something, they're both in prison. So we discover that Joseph meets them and, and, and kind of gets to know them. And one night, these two individuals, they have a dream. They wake up the next morning, and this dream really shakes them up. It's one of those dreams, both of them had separate dreams, but it really affected both of them. And Joseph can see this. Joseph was somebody who was looking out for the needs of others. His, his heart of a servant meant that he was often looking for the needs of those around him. And, and we discover that he could see that something was up with these two men. In verses 6 and 7, it says this, When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? Here's Joseph's servant attitude, his servant identity shining through again. He's in prison, but he's looking out for the needs of others. Why do you look so sad, he's asking. They're like, listen, we'll tell you why, because we both had these crazy dreams. And we're not really sure what they mean. So Joseph explains, you know, um, I believe that only God can interpret dreams. Only God knows the meaning of these dreams. But if you'll tell me them, I'll pray and I'll talk to him. And, and maybe he'll give me the interpretation of your dreams. So they do. They both tell Joseph their dreams. And Joseph prays and Joseph gets the interpretation. So he explains to the baker. He says, baker, I know what your dream means. And I've got bad news, buddy. Your days are numbered. Literally, your dream means that three days from now, Pharaoh is going to execute you. I think if I was the baker, I'd be like, ah, I'm not sure I like that one. I'll, uh, I'll maybe talk to some other people, see what they think it might mean. But the reality was, three days later, the baker is executed. Now, the cupbearer, he shares his dream with Joseph, and Joseph says, hey, you know what? Similar situation. Your day's also a numbered. Three days from now, Pharaoh is going to release you. He's going to put you back in your position in the palace. And I would imagine the cupbearer was like, I like that. I'll take that interpretation. That's a good one. And it was because three days later, Pharaoh released him. And Joseph said, if this really is the meaning of your dream, then, then when you're released, tell Pharaoh about me. 
Tell him that I'm a, a Hebrew. I've been taken from my land and, and put into slavery. I'm here in prison, accused of a crime that I did not commit. You see, what Joseph is doing in this moment is he's allowing God to use his gifts to serve others. He didn't have to ask them how they were doing. He didn't have to interpret their dreams. But God was using him and his willingness to serve even in a dark and lonely place like prison. Do you know what I think of when I, uh, when I read this, this segment of Joseph's life? I think of that movie, Shawshank Redemption. If you guys have seen that, it's a great movie. It's got Tim Robbins and, and Morgan Freeman. And Robbins plays a, a character by the name of Andy Dufresne. He's a banker and he's accused, uh, uh, falsely accused and convicted of a murder and sent to prison for life. And if you've seen the movie, you'll know that while he's in prison, rather than just kind of, um, you know, get frustrated and angry, he starts to do good. He does the guards' taxes. He helps the warden take care of the prison books. He even helps some of the other inmates earn their high school diplomas. He's falsely accused of a horrible crime. And let's be honest, I don't think any of us would blame him if he kept his head down and just focused on surviving. But this movie portrays a man who I think the reason we um, aspire to, to his, his heroic deeds in the movie is because instead he chooses to use his gifts to serve those around him. And you see that movie illustrates, and I think Joseph's life illustrates this idea of servanthood. Being a servant is not just about finding stuff to do. We can all do that. It's about allowing God to use us wherever he has placed us. I think that's what inspires me most about the identity of Joseph is that, yes, he chose to serve others. Yes, he chose to bless others. But you know where he chose to do that? In a prison cell. I know there have been times in my life where I've really just uh, been going through something, a rough time, and the last thing I want to do is serve someone else. The last thing I want to do is bless someone else. But I think Joseph had probably learned this from his great-grandfather. His great-grandfather was a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham knew that he and his descendants would bless the world. So Joseph probably grew up in a household understanding that in order to bless the world like that, you've got to be different than the rest of the world. And to live like a servant in a prison was different than the rest of the world. This continues on even into the New Testament when, when we meet Jesus. And he begins his ministry, and, and one of the, the four writers who describes the life of Jesus, a guy by the name of Matthew, talks of Jesus like this. He says, Jesus called them together and said, and he quotes Jesus, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying here, I, I am the son of man. This is one of the ways that Jesus would refer to himself. He says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, maybe you've read that before and you just kind of glossed over it, thinking that's kind of just a Jesus-y kind of thing to say. That's really cool that he said that. But you need to understand, in that culture, in that day, it would be incredibly countercultural. For someone like Jesus to say that, someone with his influence and his following to describe himself as a servant, he would have gone completely against the grain of that society. And I mean, let's be honest, even today, 
If you want to look different, if you want to have a different identity, really live in life as a servant, looking to serve and bless others, especially when you're in those, those tough times of your own, that's countercultural. That goes against the society that we find ourselves in today. But Joseph understood that. Jesus understood that. And I think we need to see that this morning. That it's part of our identity as followers of Jesus. To serve those that are around us. So we've looked at Jesus and we've looked at Joseph. And, and what I want to do now is see if there's a, some practical ways that, that we from this week on can look for opportunities to live like this. How can we now apply that in our lives? What does it look like for us to serve those around us? Well, I want to um, look at some lessons this morning from a server, from a waiter, a guy who actually um, waits in restaurants. You see, earlier on, um, we talked, didn't we, about uh, bad service. I said, I bet if I went around here, every one of you could tell a story about a bad experience that you've had in a restaurant. But the reality is, I bet we could go around here this morning and all tell a story of a good experience. I bet every one of us can tell a story about a time where, man, I went out to this restaurant and the food was great, but the service was amazing. This guy or this gal, they were fantastic. You know, sometimes Casey and I will go out to eat, and if we've got a particularly good server, we'll actually make a point before we leave the restaurant of stopping the manager and saying, excuse me, could I talk to you for a second? You can always see that he's got that kind of look of fear of like, oh, no, what's, what's one of my servers done now? But we'll, we'll say, listen, I just want to tell you that, that Susie was our waitress tonight, or, or Bob was our server, and, and they just did a fantastic job. They were really, really good. We were super impressed. It just made our night really special. And we wanted to let you know that. And we're hoping that maybe you'll tell them that we were super pleased with them. And he's like all excited. And, and we like to do that because I think sometimes that kind of encouragement or words of affirmation, that's much better than any kind of monetary tip that I could have left them instead. So uh, I just say, you know, just tell them they did a great job. <laughs> I'm kidding. I leave a big tip as well. But I make a point of saying, listen, because I want to point out good service when it comes. So I came across this article recently, and it was an interview with a guy who is a, a waiter. He worked in several restaurants in downtown Chicago, and they were asking him. He was a very good waiter. He was well known for being just a really a good waiter, a good server. And they were like, you know, what is it that makes you good? What is it that sets you apart from other servers? And in this interview, he came across these three ideas, these three concepts that he's applied in all of his restaurants that he serves at. He says, and this for me makes the difference. This, for me, makes the difference between a, just a regular server and a, and a great server. Just an average waiter and a fantastic waiter. And, and these three things I'm going to share with you this morning, because I think we can apply these in our everyday lives as followers of Jesus. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I think these are great principles that will impact those around you. So the first thing he said, the first idea he said is, is I always watch for craning. I watch for craning. Now I'm thinking, what is that about? But as he starts to explain it, it makes total sense. He said, the best servers are not heads down, going over the order, buried in their work. No, he says, they're watching for craning. He says, you can tell which people need you the most because if you're watching, you'll see them there. You've done it, haven't you, in a restaurant? You've, you've done that, you've ordered that side of dressing or you've, you've asked for the appetizer and it's just got to that point where it's like, I thought it would be here by now and it's not here. And you're starting out and you're like looking around, where, where's that? 
And he said he watches for that. He sees, you know, and instantly he knows that there's a guest or there's a customer over here that needs something. And he's straight over, hey, can I help you? Yeah, we were just wondering if we could get an extra knife or if I could get this or a refill. And he says that's what makes a good server, someone who's watching for craning. So how can we apply that as followers of Jesus? Well, listen to what um, the author Brian McLaren says when talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ. He said, Jesus said, our role on this earth is not one of critics, cynics, consumers, escapists, controllers, or isolationists, but rather servants. So the best first step for us would be to keep our eyes open as a servant does, craning as a waiter does in a restaurant, simply looking for an opportunity to be of service. The idea being that as a follower of Jesus, we're not head down, unaware of what's going on. We're eyes open, looking for those opportunities to serve, looking for the craning opportunities around us, thinking, ah, there's a need there that I may be able to respond to. You know, we just... um, Came off three or four wonderful days at Good Neighbor Days. Um, It's a a, a big event that goes on here in Washington. There's a carnival and all sorts of community activities. And and we kind of committed a couple of years ago as a church to really be involved serving at Good Neighbor Days. Part of that is because we just want to bless our community and and bless the organizers of this event who put on a lot of it based on volunteers um, alone. So part of that was to help. But the other part is, I'll be honest with you this morning, we as a church, our greatest passion, our greatest desire is to reach people that don't know Jesus. And right now, there are family members of yours, neighbors of yours, friends of yours that live in Washington or the surrounding communities here that don't attend church on a regular basis, that don't know Jesus. Maybe they grew up going to church and they've kind of just stopped. Or maybe they've never been a part of a church. And we don't think that those people are just going to show up one day. We don't think that they're just going to suddenly walk through the doors one day. So we want to make sure that we're using every opportunity that we can as a church, as, a, as members of Connect Church, to find ways to go out and reach them, however that may be. So we thought, you know, serving the way we do in Good Neighbor Days and wearing our Connect t-shirts, this is a great opportunity to be outside in the community, um, exposing people to, to Connect Church. To us as followers of Jesus, maybe someone will see someone and think, you know, I know that person. I didn't know they went to that church. I should ask them about that. Or I've heard about that church. Tell me about Connect Church. A friend of mine goes there and I keep hearing about it. And just maybe, you know, through um, the kids' tent or the teen tent or giving out some glow sticks on fireworks night, we'll connect with someone in our community that doesn't currently attend a church of their own, doesn't currently have a relationship with Christ. That's our goal. But it's brilliant because as well as meeting that goal, I get to see some wonderful people from Connect come out. And this this last Good Neighbor Days was awesome because there were several people that I'd never seen uh, serving outside of Connect before. In fact, there was was a couple I didn't even recognize. I I was like, how are you doing? You know, have you ever been to our church? Yeah, I've been coming for about two months. Oh, awesome. Sorry about that. So, um... But they came, you know, and they got the free t-shirt, which was awesome. And they came and they served. But here's the thing, and here's why I want to tell this story. Because I didn't get to see the sign-ups ahead of time. I didn't know for sure who was coming. But I kind of had an idea of some of the people that would be there. Because we have some people here at Connect. We have wonderful people. But there's a few who who are just like this. They're, They're the ones watching for the craning, watching for an opportunity to serve. And whenever they hear about it, they sign up. 
So when I arrived at Good Neighbor Days and saw some of these teams, I wasn't surprised to see a few of the people that were there because they're wonderful serving people, looking for every opportunity possible to serve. I actually took a picture of uh, one of the people in the food tent. I said, I think I've got a picture of you last year in the food tent. They said, yeah, we were here last year. They live that life as a servant, not just you know, um, responding when they, when they feel they have to, but craning, looking for those opportunities and invariably show up to many of our events. So that's one idea that um, we could apply in, what, in, in learning from this way. So the second thing he said was practice team waiting. Practice team waiting. He said, here's what I mean by this. He said, Team waiting is when all the waiters do all they can together to take care of everybody's tables, even though they don't expect a cut of anybody else's tips. Now, maybe you've been to a restaurant and where throughout the course of the evening, you've had three or four different people have come by your table. We had this case and I were out just Friday night. We had one young lady who was our server. But throughout the course of the evening, different people would stop by with a the bread then someone else stopped by with spoons for the dessert. And it was just amazing seeing all these different people coming by our table. I think I probably experienced what's known as team waiting. It's when everyone works together to serve the people in the restaurant, and the result is everybody gets better tips because everybody gets better service. And I thought, what a great concept, what a great principle that we could apply in our lives as as, um, followers of Jesus, but more so here in the context of a church. Connect Church is full of teams. There are teams that come in early on a Sunday to set up. There are teams that led us in worship this morning. There are teams right now outside doing working with the kids. There are groups of people that meet throughout the week. We call them connect groups. And there's so many opportunities to be a part of a team. And let me tell you how team waiting can work in the context of a church. We had a situation just a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, a young couple uh, with a little boy there, uh, um, the lady, the mama had to go in and have surgery, so she was a part of a small group, so the small group, the other members got together and said, let's cook some meals and uh, deliver them the next day. She's going in for a simple procedure, she'll be out the same day, we'll deliver the meals that evening, and that way she won't have to worry about cooking, we'll cover at least two or three of those meals for her. So they made three meals and they contacted the husband and he said, you know, there was some complications in the surgery and they want her to stay overnight. She's going to have to stay. We don't think we'll be out now till late tomorrow. So two of the meals they were able to freeze, but the other one was fresh and they said, you know, we can't freeze this meal. What are we going to do with it? Well, around that time, uh, Josh, who gave the announcements earlier, his wife, Katie, she'd also had to go into the hospital. So they said, well, we've heard about Josh and Katie and we've heard that they're um, in need right now. So we've got this meal anyway. Let's take that to Katie instead. So they show up at Josh's house and they knock on the door and they they deliver the meal. And at the same time as they're delivering the meal, there's another couple who are in Josh and Katie's small group and they've come up with the idea of doing a meal as well. So they're there delivering a meal and suddenly all these different people are being blessed. And I'm I'm hearing these stories and I'm thinking, that's team waiting. That's everyone working together to make sure that everyone is served well. There are opportunities for us as as members here of Connect Church to be involved in this kind of thing. If we're connected to a team, it may be a team that serves on a Sunday or a small group, but there are opportunities to experience team waiting. The last thing he said in this article, the last piece of advice, he says, you know, I do this a lot in the restaurant, and I think this helps servers um, just go to the extra level. And this, this idea, full hands in, full hands out. He says, the best servers, they live by that motto, full hands in, full hands out. 
That sounds like a lot of work to me, but he said basically it's, you know, we, we go in and out of the kitchen an awful lot, and we, we strive to just make sure that, you know, to make sure these trips aren't wasted. We always try and take as much in when we go in and bring as much out when we're coming out. He says, in doing that, you're much more, um, you, you use your time better, you get to serve more people and serve more effectively. Now, this might sound like, you know, it's more work, but if it's an identity thing, it changes who you are. If you're looking to say, what's the most I can bring in? What's the most I can bring out? It changes who you are, especially if you're a follower of Christ. Listen to what a man by the name of John Wesley said. Talking about this identity of being a servant, he said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. John Wesley is saying here, hey, full hands in, full hands out. That's the identity of a servant. You want to see that lived out in the context of someone like Connect? Come here on a Sunday morning at 7.30. Stick around today when service wraps up. You'll see people who are walking out of this gym carrying chairs, who are going into classrooms, taking um, toys out and putting chairs back in. And, and I just love seeing these wonderful people who serve on these teams, full hands in, full hands out. They are, they are carrying things in and out and just making all of this happen because they want to be a part of a team that creates this environment for you coming in. So maybe that's an area that you could respond in this morning. We've got some great teams, but every one of those teams, there are some who serve every single week. I'd love to see it. We have so many people that they only have to do it every other week. But it's going to require some of us saying, you know, that's a practical way that I can respond to this message. We have sign-ups at the back, and, and if you want to find out more about what it means to be on the setup team or what, more of what it means to be on the teardown team after second service, you can sign up there, and we'll tell you all about it, what kind of work is involved and, and how you can be a part of that. There are ways that we can uh, serve here and Connect and ways we can serve outside of Connect, but I do believe that if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, it's finding out if that's my identity, it's not should I, it's where should I. So let me conclude here by by just looking at our friend Joseph. You see, nothing happened. At this point, he's told the cupbearer, and hopefully things are going to change, but we discover that nothing changes. Joseph just can't catch a break. The cupbearer forgets about him, and for two more years, Joseph stays in prison until finally, one day, Pharaoh has a dream of his own. He calls upon all the wise men in the land, and none of them can interpret Pharaoh's dream. And then the cupbearer's like, I totally forgot. This reminds me, it was years ago now, but this guy was in prison. He may still be there. And he was able to interpret my dream. Pharaoh looks him up and he is. So he releases Joseph. He brings him before him. And God gives Joseph the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Not just that, but the interpretation saves the whole nation of Egypt from disaster. We read that Pharaoh is so grateful for Joseph's service that he says, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders only from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. The server becomes the leader. 
kind of reminds us of what Jesus said earlier, doesn't it? Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. I love it that it worked out that way for Joseph. Maybe it'll work out that way for us, and maybe it won't. Because the truth is, that isn't our concern, is it? Our concern is to recapture and to embrace our true identity, who we really are in Jesus. To be just like the Son of Man who came not to serve, sorry, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for others. Let's pray. Father, as we strive to make sure that our identity isn't stolen, Lord. Sometimes it could be unintentional. Sometimes it could be we know the truth, but we just don't want to step into it. So I pray, Lord, that we would be people who would reclaim our identity as aliens in this world and as servants in this world, that we would look for opportunities. We would be like the waiter who's, who's looking for the, uh, the heads that are craning. We're, we're not so focused and caught up in me, me, me that we miss the opportunities around us. We, we literally are living our days, the good and the bad, looking for ways that we can serve and bless others. Lord, if we're going to bless the world, we've got to be different than the rest of the world. And this is a way that we can be different by serving those around us. So show us those opportunities and give us the the courage and the determination to step into them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.